Are there any questions about the material of last week's class? All right, you have, you have a handout. Go to the back page. This is the material I was looking at with you toward the end of last class. I want you to see how the prophetic books, because we're about to, we're about now to open up the book of the book of Amos. We're going to we'll, we'll, we'll try to get to the book of Amos this morning. Um, I want you to see how it fits into the entire Hebrew canon. Now you might notice that the the, the Old Testament is arranged there quite differently from the way it's arranged in our Christian Bibles. The Hebrew canon is called the Tanakh. Okay? The, the A's are, the, the, the A's in there are immaterial. It's, but it's T, N, and K. Tanakh. The T, N, and K stand for three sections of the scriptures. The Torah, the law, the Nevi'im, Nevi'im, the prophets, and the Ketubim, the writings. The Torah has five scrolls. The Nevi'im has eight scrolls, divided into two. The former prophets, which we would call historical books, as they're listed to say in the Septuagint and the Vulgate, and the latter prophets, which we call prophetic books, which are listed last in our canon, in our, in our Christian canon. The Torah was the first part of the scriptures to be canonized by the rabbis. Canon means a metric stick. Something that's canonized now becomes a standard thing by which you, uh, we should measure other things. But we're governed by canons. Uh, second, we're not sure exactly when the Nevi'im became uh, an established part of recognized as sacred scripture. That, that would that would Depends on when we would date the book of Malachi, I suppose. Um, but it, but it's certainly, it is certainly not, not much before the year 200. Not, not much before. The Ketuvim, you have parts of the Bible that are very old, such as the Psalms, for example. But some parts that are quite recent. In the in the, in the uh, Nevi'im, um, you notice it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mix of things that don't hold together. You have the book of Job, which I would date certainly no earlier than, than the captivity, and probably uh, quite a bit later. Some of the Proverbs are extremely old, going back to Solomon, and some of that pre-Solomonic. Then there's a section called the Megiloth, it's interesting that Megiloth is actually the plural of Megiloth, which means scroll. Mm -hmm. These Megiloth, these are books that are read on the feast days, special high holidays in the synagogue. Ruth, when is the book of Ruth? When would you guess the book of Ruth is, is read? 
excellent. Yes, Pentecost. Yes, Pentecost. Because uh, it's the barley harvest, right? It's in the, you know. Um, if you want to know more about that, just consult Joseph Pretender. He's written about 20, ver 20 plays based on that theme. Okay. Uh, Song of Solomon is, 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 is Pascha. Song of Solomon is, is, is Passover season. And so forth. And, and as Esther, of course, is Purim. In fact, it's about the founding of, of, of Purim. The book of Daniel, which we recognize as, as a prophetic book, and it's listed among the prophetic books in the Septuagint, and in our own Christian Bible, Daniel's there. And there's no question Daniel's a prophet because Jesus says, according to Daniel the prophet, and I tend to take what Jesus says about that. He says it, and I'm I'm sort of supposed to agree with him. Um, but the, the book was written so late, it did not get into the prophetic books and the Hebrew text. <coughs> Even though Daniel himself lived earlier, the book itself is only second century. And of course, we're getting lots of book of Daniel these days. Uh, for Father Andrew, this weekend, it worked out just fine. He, 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 he was going to get the theme of prayer anyway, because we had the theme of prayer last week, you know, and the theme of prayer this week in the two Gospels about how to pray. But last night, in fact, we had the reading from, from Daniel 9 about Daniel's prayer. It was, really, it was really quite wonderful. And Chronicles is also fairly late. As Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles, uh, they tend to go together. Were they written by the, by the same hand? I, I, I argue that, that they weren't in, in, my, in my commentary on uh, Chronicles. It's time now to speak then of the second part of the Tanakh, the Nevi'im, which as I said last week, and you can see on your paper, is divided between the former prophets and the later prophets, latter prophets. That's not a chronological reference. Those are that's simply where they stand in the canon, first and second. It has nothing to do with the chronology. The former prophets simply means these particular books appear first in the Bible, right after the Torah. We often refer to them as the historical books. They include Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, and First and Second Kings. In the Hebrew text, there are, the division between First and Second Kings does not exist. It's just Kings. When it was translated into Greek, however. Now you've got vowels written in. It takes a lot more room. Can't get it all in one scroll. Oh, which is how you get first and second Kings, first and second uh, Samuel, first and second Chronicles. Hang on just a minute. Me... The term latter, later prophets or latter prophets refers to those books we commonly call the prophetic books starting with Isaiah and going through Malachi. These are not in chronological order with respect to the whole. They're somewhat in chronological order with respect to the minor prophets, somewhat. Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, and in really our Bibles, the long prophecies are put first. Isaiah, 66 chapters, the longest, then, then, then uh, Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel. Thus, in the Hebrew Bible, all of the material from Joshua to Malachi 
comes under the heading Prophets. And notice that it's eight, eight scrolls. Now the books of Kings are of special importance in the study of the literary prophets because the reigns of the kings provide the historical context in which the prophetic oracles were first delivered, especially Second Kings, especially Second Kings. The Bible draws attention to this by the editorial insertion of the chronological reference at the beginning of each book, at least when it was available to the editor. He wasn't so sure when Joel was written. Not all that obvious when Joel was written. The turning point in this history is the mid-8th century. So we're beginning something quite new with this class, the mid-8th century. In fact, I've entitled this class the 8th century. The books of Kings give us the history of the period, starting with the reigns of Uzziah in Judah and Jeroboam II in Samaria. And you have that on your on the front page of your, of, of your handout. Uzziah reigned from 783 to 742. Jeroboam II reigned from 786 to 746. Many years ago, when I was pastor of the Church of the Insurrection in, in Oklahoma City, <laughs> My young deacon was ordained a priest. He had, he had recently graduated from seminary, was ordained a priest. He had one of his professors come down and preach at his, at his first mass. And the reading, the Old Testament reading at the mass was the sixth chapter of Isaiah. And the uh, the preacher, the preacher was, he started to wax eloquent. In the year that King Uzziah died. He says, which by the way was 740. There was a very loud and audible whisper on the part of everybody in the congregation. 742. <laughs> Nobody in any congregation I ever pastored would get the date of Isaiah wrong. Now, these two kings are introduced in 2 Kings 14. 2 Kings 14 is where you zoom in. That's when you start to get the literary prophets, with 2 Kings 14. From 2 Kings 14.23, the date is 786. The date in 2 Kings 14.23 is 786. Until the end of 2 Kings 25, which is the year 587, you have the period of eight literary prophets. Four in the 8th century, four in the 7th century. In the 8th century, we have Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, and Micah. In the, in the 7th century, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Nahum, and Habakkuk. For a while, beginning today, we will be beginning to be treating biblical economics in the 8th century prophets. 
As far as we can tell from the text itself, the earliest of these prophets was Amos. Clearly, however, the order in which they're found in the Bible suggests that the Old Testament editors thought Hosea was earlier, which is not possible if those inscriptions at the beginning are right. When that's an historical problem. When, when were the inscriptions put in and so forth? But if you take the inscriptions at the, at the beginning of those books, Hosea can't be the earliest. Amos is. The biblical uh, editor is careful to place the beginning of Amos's ministry during the reign of King Uzziah of Judah, 783 to 742. That is to say, Amos began to prophesy prior to 742. You have the text in front of you, Amos 1.1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now, can we be more precise with respect to the beginning of the mission of Amos? Yes, we can, but not right now. I want to postpone that for a little while because it gets involved. It appears that the next literary prophet after Amos is Hosea, whose ministry lasts a great deal longer. It began sometime prior to 742 and lasted until at least 715. Hosea 1.1. The word of the Lord, Devar Adonai, the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beriah, in the days of Uzziah, that is to say, prior to 742. Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Hezekiah, which had bring it down to it, at most 715. Kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Just take that verse and compare it with a little graph I gave you there at the top with the dates of the kings. You see, you see during the time during which Hosea was, was prophesying. That is to say, Hosea, a northern prophet, lived to see the downfall of the northern kingdom in 722. The survival of his work indicates a move to the southern kingdom sometime prior to that date. In any case, it is curious that he is chronologically located with reference to four southern kings, even though he himself was not a southern, <coughs> he himself was from the north. The next prophet in sequence is Isaiah, who had his inaugural vision during King Uzziah's last year, 742. Isaiah 6.1. This text floats into my mind every single, every single divine liturgy. Every single divine liturgy. Okay. If you go just, if you go through the liturgy, the Bible keeps placing us in context, historical context, over and over again. The Bible places us in historical context. You know, um, Father Andrew turns around and says, "The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God the Father." 
and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He puts us right in the context of the church of Corinth. Second epistle, the last, last verse of the second epistle to the Corinthians. And then shortly after that, you know, he takes us right back to the temple in your 742. Um, and we start to chant what, what Isaiah heard and saw when the fiery one, the seraphim, and the temple started to chant, the holy, holy, holy. And from that, we move right into the, the scene of the Last Supper and, and so forth. We, uh, there's, there's this whole series of biblical scenes that are contextualized within, within, the, within the words and the ritual of the divine liturgy. It's the, the, we get, you really get the whole Bible in there. And, where, and our priest stands up there with his back to us, as it should be, uh, for this, this idea of putting the priest on the other side of the altar facing us is one of the one of the worst things that's ever happened. I think it's I think it's perhaps has destroyed much of the Western Church. There's that habit. You don't get on the other side of the burning bush. Sorry, you don't get on the other side of the burning bush. <laughs> we all stand in front of the burning bush. You don't get on the other side of it. Okay. Um, the altar itself is, is the focus of attention, not the priest. But that, that's not even my notes here. Notice here that Isaiah sees. He sees the Lord. Then in the opening verse of, uh, of the book of Isaiah, hang on just a second. Hi, Terry. Terry's joined us from way out west. Terry is the most uh, westerly of our of our audience here today, and Carmen, over uh, over on the coast of, of the Black Sea, is is the, is the easternmost of the people we got here today. Yeah, Terry's even further west than Ali is. Ali's pretty far west. The vision, Hazon, Hazon, the vision of Isaiah. The son of, son of Amos, which he saw, Hazah, concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, with respect to both Amos and Isaiah, but more especially in the case of, of Isaiah, we observe the vocabulary of vision. We'll see this when we get into Amos. Amos has a series of visions. And that's certainly true of Isaiah. That is to say, they not only heard the words of God, they had experiences that could be described as a vision. For now, I note that only in passing. In comparing the editorial prefixes to these prophets, we observe a difference. Namely, in the cases of Amos and Hosea, the dating is related not only to the reign of Uzziah in the south, but also to that of Jeroboam in the north. The reason is because these prophets prophesied in the north. They're concentrated in the northern kingdom. Now when we turn to Micah, we observe that he did not begin until after the death of Uzziah. He began after 742, which is why we'll take him forth. The beginning of Micah. The word of the Lord, which came to Micah of Moresheth, 
in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Notice there, Uzziah is not there. It's later, he's after 742. In the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw, Uzziah again, concerning Samaria, which is the northern kingdom, and Jerusalem, which is the southern kingdom. Now, indeed, the editor takes special care with the chronology in the case of Amos. And that's where we're going to be for a while. For, for quite a number of weeks, we're going to be in the, we'll be, we'll be dealing with, uh, with Amos. Because we're going to be dealing with biblical economics. Few people have as much to say about it as Amos. Uh, we're going to be seeing an emphasis in Amos we haven't seen up till now. Uh, but everything changes with Amos. Every summer, on June 15th, the Orthodox Church observes the memory of the prophet Amos. June 15th. That will be on your exam. I'm not going to give you your exam. You're going to get it up there, you know. First thing you're going to be asked when you appear before the throne is, and when was Isaiah called? Well, maybe not. That may be the second or third question. Father, before you go to that exam, you get your library card. You get your library card, and, and, and also, I think, maybe your Amazon card. <laughs> Let's look at that passage from Amos one more time. Let's go back and look at that passage one more time. Amos 1.1. 1, 1. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Now from this one verse, we learn several things about Amos. We learn that he is from Judah, southern kingdom. He's from the village of Tekoa, which is about 12 miles south of Jerusalem. In fact, it's even south of Bethlehem. Tekoa has already appeared in the Bible. If you remember back in 2 Samuel uh, 12, Joab hires a, a, an actress in, from Tekoa to go make a, make a scene with David and tell the, try to get David reconciled to um, uh, Absalom. Second, we learn that Amos prophesied not in the south, but in the north. That is, he crossed state lines to incite a riot. <laughs> I just threw that last part in. He walked right past Jerusalem up to Samaria. And so there's no problems in Jerusalem. He walked right past Jerusalem, goes up to the shrine in Samaria. What is, what is, the, what is the shrine? I'll test your biblical knowledge here. Okay, what is what's the, where, the southern the southernmost shrine of the northern kingdom is in what city? Remember, there are two places they put in the golden calf. Jeroboam put in the golden calf. What were those two places? Dan and and Bethel. Very 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 good. Dan and Bethel. See, our catechumen got that answer. Third. Amos' first prophecies occurred 
two years before the earthquake. Aha! When was that earthquake? Well, geologists and archaeologists date the earthquake between 765 and 760. We got it narrowed down to a five-year period, if the geologists and archaeologists are correct. Sometime between 765 and 760, two years before the earthquake. Perhaps it's possible to be even more precise. Let me just read you this text and see what you think. Amos 8, verse 9. It shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon. And I will darken the earth in broad daylight. What does that sound like to you? Well, fair, fair enough. But does that happen any happen any other time? Have you have you ever seen that before? Have you ever have you in your whole life have you ever seen that before? There's a dark as night. What do we what do? We want to take Holy Friday. No, no, no. Please, please. No, we just we've just dealt with that. We've dealt with that. I'm asking you: Have you ever seen that in your life before? What do you call that? Solar, solar eclipse. A solar eclipse. Okay. I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. Let's fill that up for you. Okay. Think about this. On June 15th, 763, okay, June 7, June 15th, 763, there was a total solar eclipse in the Holy Land. Do I follow me there? Is that what he's talking about? I just throw that out. I just throw that out. So we, if that's the case, we really got to pin down, I mean, to a date. Any questions so far? Okay. All right. On the biographical section of the book of Amos, we're introduced to his, his sudden appearance at the shrine at Bethel. Remember, Bethel is the southernmost shrine in the, king, in the northern kingdom, where there's a golden calf set up and there's a sanctuary there. We learn of this from a message that the priest at Bethel sent to Jeroboam II, accusing Amos of conspiracy. Amos 7.10. Then Amaziah, the priest at Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, 
and Israel shall surely be led, be led away captive from his own land. So you've got some prophet showing up at the shrine, prophesying the death of the king and the deportation of the people. This is an explicit prophecy of the downfall of the northern kingdom in 722. In other words, about 40 years before it happens. It's the fulfillment of that prophecy that warranted the reputation and authority of Amos as prophet. Now, you have a writer who's putting down in writing something that's going to happen, it happens within 40 years. That's how you get, that's how you get recognized as a prophet. You get that kind of accuracy. What are you supposed to do to somebody whose prophecy does not come true? Stone them to death. We'll have a lot less prophecy in the church if people start following that rule. The prophecy itself was recorded so that it could be checked. Now this priest reprimands Amos, telling him to head back to the south where he comes from. Amos suffers the usual accusation leveled by insecure governments. Conspiracy. Anytime, anytime you have a government accusing ordinary citizens of conspiracy, you know that government's about to go. <laughs> then, then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary. It is the royal house. Now Amos, by way of response, tells the rural circumstances and agricultural conditions of his calling, adding a few choice words about what the accusing priest might expect in the near future. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, No prophet am I, nor son of a prophet, but I am a breeder of sheep and a caretaker of the sycamore. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now this is Amos' account of himself. What do you mean prophet? I'm no prophet. I'm just an ordinary guy. <coughs> he is careful to identify himself as representative of a farming community. And this is going to be very important to the whole prophetic movement. It begins in the countryside, criticizing the city. It begins, it begins uh, I don't want to say it's suburbia because that's not quite right. <laughs> He's representative of a farming community, a place where livestock is raised. He identifies himself as a shepherd and an arborist. The sycamore, by the way, has a fruit resembling a fig. The sycamores in this country, the, the, I, I've never heard anybody eating this, the, the, the fruit of the sycamores in this country, but they do over, over there. In other words, Amos identifies himself as a man of the land. That's going to be very important. The other parts of this book show the prophet's self-description is perhaps a bit too modest. Amos pleads that he has a simple shepherd and an arborist. 
He understands flocks and trees. That's all. You would think that he spent all of his days outdoors in manual labor. In fact, however, this cannot possibly be the case. Why? He's, he's way too literate. He's in an age when most agricultural men were not literate. Looks like we've got our children coming back to the so it's time to uh, to stop, and we will we'll do that. Yes, Eva. I, I wanted to ask why the Book of Chronicles is separated from the Book of Kings in the grouping. It's it's so late, dear. It's it's, it's written much 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 later than the Kings. I refer you to the introduction of a little commentary on Chronicles. Are you familiar with the volume? Okay. I kind of explain that in there, don't I? I think I do. It has a very different emphasis, but I, I didn't realize they were written so far. Oh, yes. Time. They're written centuries apart. Written centuries with a quite different, with quite different emphasis, yeah. That was a good question, though. All right. Now, remember what Nancy said. <laughs> Glory to the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit now and ever, the God who is, who was, and is to come, the end of time. Amen. Amen.